Hey there, NFT Curious listener. Today's episode is one of a handful, bringing you curated content from our visits to Decentral and Consensus in Austin, Texas during June of 2022. We love to give you the highlights, so it's like you're right there with us. So you'll get a sneak peek into talks and panels, as well as quick on-the-spot interviews with top players in Web3 and beyond. We cut from one segment to the next, and you'll get context at the start of each conversation. Stay tuned and enjoy. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. I'm Sean. Nice to meet everyone. I'm the head of Web3 Partnerships at INX Technologies. We build Web3 applications for entrepreneurs. I'm John. During the day, I am a blockchain engineer for Linkpool in the Chainlink ecosystem. And at night, I am one of the founders of the ATX DAO. Hey guys, I'm Dan or Daniel. I'm the DAO master for both MotorDAO and for Pummelex. Hey everyone, I'm Elmer Morales. I'm the founder and CEO of Campus DAO. Previously, I've been a software engineer in the space for a long time and now building something cool in the Web3 space. Nice. Thanks, guys. So let's start with the basics for a moment. Who has the best description of what a DAO is that you would use to describe this to your grandparent? Oh, I'll take that. So the way I think about a DAO is, uh, you know, think about it as a corporation, right? Corporations have stock and they have shares that investors and employees own. A DAO is similar to a corporation, but instead of shares, you have tokens, right? So at a Rather than being limited to a U.S. audience, a DAO is a global organization, if you will, that can be owned by the community, the members, investors, founders, and so forth. Society, communities are incredibly complex. What are the advantages of building a community as a decentralized DAO? Advantages is the fact that it's autonomous, so the community can manage it, and it autonomously executes the inherent logic within the DAO, even when the community is not awake and at their computers. And I think transparency is also a very big deal, especially depending on the use case you're looking at. So for charitable DAOs, transparency is a big thing. It's auditable at any given moment. Those are just two. I'm sure there's several more. Yeah. I I think when we think of traditional companies, you think of top down. And I think with community DAOs, especially it it really gets everybody's voice. So a, a bottom up approach of voices that you may have never heard from in a traditional company that give proposals out or at least initiate proposals that everybody can vote on, which that idea in a traditional company would never be heard. It's empowerment. That's um, DAOs are about voting. DAOs are about giving the ability for the community holders and the token holders to have the power over the direction of where the DAO might be heading, have a say in what is going to be happening. But the way that I look at it is, and it might be a bit of a contrarian approach, potentially utopian as well, and maybe naive but flat and horizontal the core contributors of those who are building the DAO and and the community they work hand in hand it's not like we have a hierarchical approach it's more like everyone collectively works together on delivering and executing on what the mission is yeah and i I think another advantage of a DAO is really giving access to early adopters you know a lot of times people find a cool project and they're not really able to participate in, in that upside right so i think if you discover something cool and you're part of it and you help build it you know participating in that upside is really key because you get rewarded for that you know early adoption in the traditional you know model prior to dows you really you might get a retweet or something like that but you really don't get to participate in that upside if you had discovered twitter you know, on month one. Yeah. One of the beautiful things about what you guys just talked about is that low barrier to entry and accessibility for literally anybody. I wanted to ask, when you think about communities in general, what makes a community right for the DAO model? Like what are the attributes of a community you would look for that say, yeah, you know what, that's a good fit for a DAO? I want to say Austin is a great place for this just because with the COVID And all of this migration into Austin, you have so many new people coming into the city that don't know anybody. And they're either crypto curious or they are into the blockchain ecosystem already, but they have no friends in Austin. And what do you do then? And so ATX DAO 
is really a, a big networking group that we have a bunch of meetups in real life, unlike traditional DAOs where everything is online. But we create that bond between our members because we meet each other. We go out and have beers. We work on projects together. We get people job. We get people that need employees. And so we just create a massive network. So for, for Austin, with all of these new people coming here, I think it's a great ecosystem. I think it also comes down to the specific mission at hand. Like, what is the DAO trying to achieve? And as like what we are trying to achieve, who are the people that are going to be able to do that? So if I'm trying to, for example, buy a board ape, and I want to fractionalize the IP and give ownership rights back to those who hold it. You're probably not looking at people who are just entering into the space. More than likely looking at people who have a little bit more money sitting in their wallets and they might want to have a little bit of a piece of what could be potentially quite a valuable asset. But then what we're doing at MotorDAO, we're trying to enable fair ownership rights for all musicians and for all artists on chain. So the people that we need to be able to do that are those who love music and those who want to make it. So it really does come down to what am I trying to do and who are the people that are going to be able to help me to do it? I think the most important thing is having clarity, like having a very clear mission, as long as the community knows exactly what it wants to achieve and it can write down the rules for how to achieve it, then everything else is easy. But I think the most important thing is having clarity on what the common mission is or the objective is. Elmer, you said with Campus, we were talking a little bit about that before. I think you have some thoughts on that too. Yeah, I think communities that are really active and engaged and want to be part of the building of that entity, if you will, are, are I would say are, are ripe for that. A lot of times people discover things early on and they just feel so connected to that mission that they, they're interested in helping out, even if there's not a, an official role, right? Call it a volunteer, if you will. But when you have a community with a lot of passionate members like that, I think that's very ripe for, for a DAO type of structure. Got it. So passionate members are aligned around a particular vision that want to actually be involved. These are some of the attributes of a community that could be ripe for a DAO structure. I wanted to ask, John, you mentioned this backstage, this connection to other communities, not just like ATX DAO, right? But also looking outside of the borders of Austin. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. So what ATX DAO really is trying to do is build the blueprint for city DAOs. And so we've talked to other cities that that have that same need or want, but they don't know how to do it. And so for us at ATX DAO, we started with not a single idea of how to do this. And we created our Discord and created our website and literally threw everything at the wall to try to figure out how to do this right. And so for us, we want to help other cities that want to do the same thing that we're doing in their own communities as well. And so we're reaching out to different cities from Tokyo to Istanbul to different states around the, the country to teach them how we did it and then at least point them in the right directions to start their own communities in their own cities. Right on. Exciting stuff. Like building any community is difficult, right? Never mind one that has the infrastructure that you're talking about, the guidelines, uh, voting, all the different dynamics. What are some of the pitfalls of DAOs? Poor code, poorly written code. I think that's one of the biggest, <laughs> biggest pitfalls. It also leads to a lot of security issues if the code doesn't address some eventualities. And then I think the second thing to be aware of is regulation. There's no such regulation at the moment, but I feel like it's coming and it's creeping on us, creeping up on us pretty fast. I wrote a blog post maybe a month ago about how DAOs and traditional enterprise organizations are like the gap is narrowing between the two. And I think A16Z and Reason Horowitz wrote another blog post maybe 10 days back about how every DAO should find a jurisdiction they should think about the legislation that's about to come. There's no legislation, but we kind of know what it's going to look like. Right now, it's just in the metaverse, but eventually you'll have to pick a jurisdiction and you'll have to operate more like a business. That's not a lot of crypto people don't want that, but that's I feel like that's that's coming pretty fast. So that's another pitfall. We're also actually speaking about legislation. We're pretty lucky over in Australia. I think DAOs are slowly becoming more of a recognized legitimate business model. So potentially in that part of the world, things are maybe a little bit more progressive or a little bit more faster moving. But then in terms of other pitfalls, I would also think about speculation overall. So you're trying to build a community of people who are engaged and again, your core mission, what you're trying to achieve. But in any project or any launch or anything in crypto right now, there's more than likely going to be someone who's just trying to have their next flip and make some money. So it's about trying to figure out how to navigate that particular problem. Either one, turn those people into supporters by providing them with certain attributes or, or I don't know, empowerment. But yeah, it's the de-incentivization of sell pressure essentially and just trying to make sure that your DAO can 
hopefully succeed in the space. We're still so early, and I'm sure that over the next five to ten years, we'll see legitimate DAOs come from these really, really early grassroots steps. Yeah, I just wanted to add a quick comment on the poorly written code. I think that's that's definitely one of the pitfalls. But you know, I think the way that we should think about DAOs is think of them as traditional organizations. So even though they're decentralized and they're you know anybody can contribute and you know get access to open source code, I think you still want to have people within the communities that are leaders that can sort of help navigate and you know define guidelines. Right in the case of code, I think there could be you know, coding standards and other things that are still in place within the DAO that people have to follow. So I think you could, and that's what we're doing at Campus DAO, right? I think given we have a pretty strong background in, in building software organizations, we're applying that same model within the DAO is making members within the community who have been vetted, who are experts that can play a lead leadership role and guide and, and do code reviews and things like that. I think you could still make it work if you just sort of translate the traditional how to run a company model into the DAO space. Yeah, I think to speak on that as well, like as a company, a lot of people don't talk about the growing pains as far as a DAO goes, because, you know, as far as ATX, we started with people, then went to 25, then 100, and 1,000, whatever. It needs to scale and you need to not grow so quickly that you, you outpace yourself. So for us, we really tried to create a solid base that would allow us to scale to that next level. So we have our committees that will each do their own little thing to help our DAO grow into that size. And so I think the biggest pitfall is somebody growing too quickly or running with an idea without really thinking it through. So the best advice I would say is, is sit down and really figure out like who are your key players to really create that base. And then from there, the sky's the limit. Yeah. So don't leave behind the lessons learned from traditional business, traditional organizational structures, traditional community structures, right? Take the best of it, uh, leave the bad behind and continue to grow. Dan, you mentioned the flat nature of the organization and that being a tenant of what you're doing. How do you maintain that over time as committees form or people gain a little bit more influence or even voting power within the organization? How do you maintain that vision of a generally flat organization? It's a good question. The way that I started thinking about organization octaves just in general is maybe thinking about it as a living, breathing organism. If you think about like how a cell exists, you've got the barriers of the cell and this metaphor or analogy, you could think of the barriers as the core mission. And then within each part of that cell, you've got different parts that make up that uh, cell working groups. You've got marketing, you've got tokenomics, if it's applicable, gamification, you've got something called DSC, which is the DAO specific component with motor that's got to do with music, with Pummelix, that's got to do with move to earn. So there are all these little individual working groups all working together cohesively, trying to figure out how to solve the core mission. And as long as you have some sort of... And I might get battered for this, but if you get some sort of organizational, potentially centralized organizational structure within that flat horizontal structure, things will move. The analogy and the way that I think about it is, say you're trying to sail a ship out to sea. Everyone has the exact same voting power and everyone has a voice. The problem with that is that if everyone's saying, I want to go east, west, south, north, the boat's just going to sail in circles. You need someone to give some sort of direction. You need someone to give some sort of, we're going to go here because we want to do this. That's kind of how I'm looking at it, is that you need that flat structure so that everyone can work cohesively, still maintain that organization so that we can achieve that core mission. Yeah, that North Star is pretty important. A lot of people thinking about this right now, a lot of people here probably are wondering, how can I launch a DAO to support my community, to grow my community, to achieve these same goals that we're talking about here on stage. What input, what advice would you have for folks that are looking legitimately to do this? Actionable advice. I'll take a stab at that. I think, you know, the the first part about building a DAO is really creating a community and a mission and, and getting people to support that mission. So I think before you go out and create a DAO and create a DAO token and and do all this, you know, formality stuff, I think testing out the market and seeing whether there's demand for what you're building and whether you can rally a community around that. I would say in the traditional like tech startup world, that would normally be an MVP, right? Where you go out and see if your idea has merit, would people actually buy it? So I would say do some sort of proof of concept, you know, for your DAO and see if people would have interest. You know, I'll give an example. So I'm involved with another project called um, the Exotic Car Club, which is an NFT 
and a DAO that is essentially doing fractional ownership of exotic cars, Lamborghinis, Ferraris, things like that. So being part of the club allows you to rent and, and essentially take a McLaren out for a spin as long as you're part of that club. And so one of the things that they did to, to sort of prove that model is they hosted a small event out in Orange County, got about 50 people together, and they tested the market to see if, like, would people buy this, right? And out of those 50 people, probably 40 of them were like, I'm in immediately, right? Like, I no longer have to buy a Lamborghini. I can now just spend, you know, this few hundred or a few thousand dollars on this DAO token, and I can be part of that and get access to the cars, right? So I think that was a good example of a, a proof of concept and how someone should test, test the waters. I would say that that would be sort of like step one. And then step two is then, you know, go and make it a little bit more formal. So many people don't know this, but here in the U.S., Wyoming actually created a legal structure for a DAO. It's a DAO LLC. They're the first to innovate within the United States. And I'm sure there's others around the world that are going to follow them. But, you know, researching the Wyoming DAO and setting up LLC structure there is probably like step two, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I think it's really goal-oriented like any other company. When you start a company, you have to have a goal in mind, not just to start a company to start it. So for your DAO, like figure out what that goal is that you want to attain to, and then find those people that have that same goal. So with ATX DAO, when we first started this, our goal was to be the crypto capital of the world. And so every one of our members believes that same point. And that's why we progress further. And a point with the, the government side is because we are a community DAO and a city DAO, we can help build the legal structure and the, the government structure by doing that as well. And so we, we're in talks with local and state and even in federal level legislation to really get the crypto side of things better in not only Austin, but Texas. So could I, could I just jump in? Go ahead, jump um, in. Sure. To get more technical, I think of it as development, funding, and deployment. So once you got the community stuff figured out and the business side figured out, then you develop the DAO, create the governance mechanisms, and then you would think about how you're going to fund it. So every DAO has to have a treasury. The treasury is like a little bit of money that the DAO needs to execute the inherent logic within the DAO. So if, if, if the DAO is about buying and selling NFTs, there needs to be some money in the DAO to buy the first, first few NFTs. So the second step is funding. And then the third step is deployment. And that would be where you all the logic that you've created, you put it online on one of the blockchains, and then the developers would step back and the community would step forward. And then the governance from that point onward would be with the community. Um, and our company can help out with the development part of the DAO once the business logic and the community is figured out. I've also started thinking about, like just on this, about how DAOs can potentially be a little bit scary, but the mechanics of a DAO and what a DAO is trying to achieve at the end of the day could be quite applicable across the board in different variations. So I've been working on different ideas for artists and just quickly... Think about how musicians have teams of people who will help them do what they need to do best. Musicians are artists at the end of the day. They're just trying to create their art. But then behind them, they're going to have a manager. They're going to have A&R, publicist, et cetera, et cetera. Instead of that model, what if the team was decentralized? What if you built a community of thousands of people, all who could bring opportunities to that artist? So instead of having this small group of people, four to eight minds, you've got thousands of minds. You've got someone in your community who happens to know someone at Sony Records who can get you a publishing deal. You've got someone in your community who knows Cole Bennett at Lyrical Lemonade and can get you a music video. You're essentially leveraging your community to further your career along, but you wouldn't necessarily deem that as a DAO, not in my opinion anyway. I've thought of it as close to a base. You're building a fan base of people. So the mechanics at a root level still work, but just slightly differently. Yeah. So take, take note, these guys have been there, done that. They're doing it now. Actionable steps for sure. We appreciate that guys. One part of uh, learning and building that, that I've always appreciated is, is looking to others that have been there and done that. And I'm wondering in your view, other than your own projects, what do you see as the most effective functioning DAOs in the space that we should look to for inspiration or guidance? Yeah. One DAO that I'm a fan of is Gitcoin DAO. So they're doing a lot of cool stuff for, you know, developers in the space. And they've really been, you know, very transparent about every decision, every vote, everything. The founder at Gitcoin is really not about getting rich quick. It's more about like, hey, how do we support the community? And so I'm a big fan of that. But I think for those of you in the audience that are looking for a good model on or someone to follow, right, to see what they're doing and how to run a DAO, I think Gitcoin DAO is, I'm certainly a fan of them. 
I really like Decentraland and I'm not associated with the project or anything, but I think it's, I think it's a really cool DAO. And it's an example of a very complicated DAO with many moving parts. So Decentraland allows you to, it allows you to do like city management and asset, like you can buy digital assets in the metaverse. And another DAO I really like is BadgerDAO. So BadgerDAO allows, like it creates DeFi opportunities for people who are holding Bitcoin. And both those, BadgerDAO is slightly smaller. Decentraland is a much bigger project. I'm associated to neither, but I think they're very cool projects. I think there's like, when we think of a DAO, I think it's, it's such a broad term now. And so when you think of traditional, even in DeFi companies, you wouldn't think of certain DeFi projects as DAOs, but a lot of them are. And so when you actually go into, say, Snapshot and you go in and look at all of the different projects that are happening, you say, wow, like this is a DAO, that's a DAO. And, and a lot of companies don't have to just be DAOs. They can have a DAO mechanism as part of their company as they have you know, some type of voting strategy or, or governance token or something that any company can be a DAO. It doesn't, you don't have to label yourself a DAO. Any company can be a DAO as long as they allow their employees or their users to have some type of say on how that company runs in the future. So I'm not necessarily bullish on any certain DAO outside of ATX DAO, but I am bullish on the, the whole governance principle being able to help your company grow from the bottom up. You know, I fully agree with that. Um, personally, I don't think anyone's quite cracked it just yet. I think I agree with Sean that Decentraland is pretty cool. Again, I'm not associated with the project either. But I think the reason why we have these conversations, the reasons why we sit up here at these conferences and you guys listen to us is because no one's quite cracked it just yet. And we, it's such an exciting opportunity for people to come out of the woodwork and work together and build something that truly kind of pushes the envelope forward. I don't think that anyone's done it like perfectly and potentially there's not going to happen for another five to 10 years. Eventually it will happen. But I just think if you're thinking about a DAO to specifically follow, I would say follow as many as you possibly can, read as much as you possibly can and try to take each part that you think is really good and resonates with you and turn it into something different. Yeah. And just a few other thoughts on that. I think, you know, to his point, you know, we're still early, right? DAOs is a very new concept. Even though it's been around for a couple of years, it's still, it's barely picking up traction. And so I would say, you know, follow a bunch of people, a bunch of other DAOs, do your due diligence, but also think outside the box, right? I think one example of thinking outside the box is like, you know, Goblin Town NFT. You guys probably heard of them in the last two weeks. Everybody thought the playbook was XYZ that everyone was following. And they just came out and said, hey, we're this new NFT project. It's free. No roadmap, no discord, no nothing. We're going to go on Twitter spaces and just make random goblin noises and fart sounds. And like, you know, it went from a free mint to like nine ETH in like a couple of days. Right. So I think that is, I'm a big fan of thinking outside the box and just doing things differently. Just because it hasn't, you know, someone hasn't done it doesn't mean you can't do it. Yeah. I mean, you said it, we're really at the beginning and there's so much more in your guys' view, what is that? What's the next step for DAOs? What does the future hold in terms of innovation, evolution, the different features? What are you excited about? So I, I actually, I like the point that John made, and I think that's kind of the future for DAOs, where you're going to have DAOs within enterprise corporations or organizations. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you're a food company that creates bread, for example. And once the bread comes out, you could have a DAO, which is like, it's a conveyor belt with all kinds of sensors and they take pictures and they measure how the bread's doing. And you could just call it like the quality control DAO. And automatically, you like you put your bread on there, all the machines, everything else, it's hooked up to the DAO through oracles, and it comes out on the other side, and you either get a pass or a fail for each piece of bread, for each loaf of bread. So you could have DAOs within corporations. So the quality control DAO is one concept, but you could have it at any stage of like industrial manufacturing or even regular like marketing processes or anything else. But I think I think the space between traditional enterprise organizations and DAOs is closing really fast. And then the second big thing is, which I think is going to be huge, is that there's an explosion of sensors and IoT devices across the world. They're everywhere. And if you think of each sensor, it's almost, it's a potential oracle. So you could have granular data and you could have multiple sources of that data to confirm that it's real from anywhere in any room and on any highway in any restaurant. So that just opens up the use cases for DAOs where you could have a DAO for almost everything. For example, I'll give you a logistics example. Let's say you're shipping freight across the Canadian border. So there's a truck that's like driving up past Detroit and it enters Canada. As soon as it crosses a certain point, the IoT device in the truck says it gives the GPS signal that we've crossed this point, which means all the vendors before that point can be paid. All the contracts before that point can be settled. 
all of that can happen programmatically. So it reduces the, it significantly reduces the operational costs of a person coming and verifying all that. And going forward, you can add like quality control. You can add a lot of your paperwork, your international compliance, all of that stuff just could be different DAOs or different smart contracts within a larger DAO. Right on. Other thoughts, guys? What does the future hold? I completely agree as far as large companies integrating some type of governance protocol into their system. It is interesting when you're talking about the IoT devices, like working with Chainlink, that's kind of our whole like bread and butter is bringing the data from the real world into smart contracts. And so when you're talking about a governance side of, of that is is having the ability to use proposals in a certain way that, again, from the very bottom where you have workers that could have awesome ideas to bring that into fruition is amazing. Yeah. And I think, you know, as far as the future of DAOs, I think where this is really going to become a big deal is within like the startup space. So traditional startups would have to go to raise venture capital funding and essentially get approval from some male individual on whether their startup should get funding or not. Right. And so I think a lot of startups are going to be better served with the DAO model you know, enabling their community, who's also going to be the users, the supporters, supporters, the buyers of their product to make those decisions rather than some individual in Silicon Valley. Right. So I'm excited and bullish on like startups, just kind of looking at the Dow model as an, as a better form of fundraising and, you know, governance rather than what we've seen in the past 10 years. I think what's really, really interesting about everybody's points that's just been made. And I'm kind of summarizing it in my mind. It's almost like the future of a Dow is is there a decision to be made and, and is there value in that decision having more than one person thinking about it? And you can do that as micro as you want and as macro as you want. Imagine a DAO that was literally a sovereign state of a million people living there that would governing themselves. It'd be such an interesting thought concept to be able to do that. I mean, in democracy, that exists, but I think DAOs are kind of like the next step in what democracy could be. And then on a micro level, when you're essentially eliminating issues within the supply chain, or you are creating opportunities for decisions to be made without the need for headache or without the need for all this other superfluous things in the middle. Could I add one more point? I think the first class of DAOs we're going to see as soon as regulation allows self-driving cars is people just buying fleets of Teslas and deploying them on ride-sharing apps and organizing them in a DAO where the car gets itself serviced, it picks up and drops passengers, it pays tickets if it gets tickets or whatever else. So you're going to have a DAO that's that's going to have a physical implication in our real world, but it's all going to be governed through a DAO. I think that's the first, as soon as they allow self-driving cars, that's the first batch of DAOs we're going to get. Seriously disruptive, game-changing, society-shifting stuff we're talking about here. So thank you so much you know, for sharing that. We only have a few minutes left and wanted to uh, take a little bit of time and answer any questions from the audience. So let's do that right now. So we got one right in the middle here in the blue shirt. I think like we talked about, there needs to be some type of leadership in any DAO. It can't just be a bunch of people running off with their or running around with their heads chopped off. It needs to have structure. And I think if you're a good DAO, you have structure. So if something happens, say like that, you have the ability to have people take control and then figure out what needs to be done from there. I think it's also, you know, a lot of it starts at the beginning. I think with, in the case of Luna, you know, if you look at their smart contract and the way it works is months ago, prior to the crash, you know, a couple of weeks ago, a lot of people already saw that coming. I mean, the, the code to begin with, the way it was structured, you know, it was sort of a disaster in the making, right? People just were in denial about it. And so I think in the case of Dow, outside of having good leadership, I think you need to have a good engineering team you know, good engineering leaders that can prevent that from being written in a smart contract to begin with. And uh, I would say a lot of research before you enter a DAO. I know there's a lot of stable coins that are not pegged to the US dollar, but they claim they are. So they're just loopholes they go around. So a lot of research before you get into it. And uh, as far as uh, I agree with John, as far as uh, the mechanisms to course correct when something goes wrong, you need to have some leadership in place. Thanks, guys. Other questions? Sure. 100%. That's the model that I'm kind of thinking about. Yeah. So when you've got your cell and your individual working groups, you could have maybe one leadership DAO, which is, I don't know, 10 people, and you need a super majority vote to pass something, which will then potentially go around to the rest of the working groups as well, where you might have a working group that will work on marketing or a working group that will work on the tokenomics or the gamification. Each time decisions need to be passed, micro votes will need to occur in the DAO before it 
kind of goes forward. And then potentially you could even think of the final step as some sort of DAO light where the broader community who hold the tokens, the token holders, those are the ones that are empowered. We need your green light. We need your DAO light to be able to proceed with what we want to do. I'd like to add that it's kind of like distributed proof of stake where it's proof of stake and everyone's involved, but like, let's say every hundred users appoint one person to the leadership committee, something like that. So you need to have, I would say a couple of leadership mechanisms, one which is crowdsourced from all the entire community. And then one could just be like the founders of the project or someone that's involved uh, more full-time. Appreciate that. You guys, that's our time here. Before we break, I wanted to make sure we had a chance to let the panelists share where you can find them on socials and follow their projects. So my name's Sean Ray. I, I don't think I'm up on the board today. It's S-H-A-A-N-N for Nebraska dot R-A-Y. And it's Sean Ray at uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Medium, same name everywhere. John Gregus, you can check out the ATX DAO at atxdao.com. Come to our event on Friday. We have a really big banger going on. So go to atx.com slash events and check us out and get an Eventbrite ticket. You can catch me on Twitter at Anon John. That's A-N-0-N underscore J-O-N or John underscore Gregus for Instagram. Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at DowMasterDan. You can find the projects I work at. So Moda underscore Dow, M-O-D-A underscore Dow. Um, there's also Pummel, uh, P-U-M-L, and Jack Space, which is a company that I've co-founded, which was the ideas that we were talking about earlier. Cool. So I'm Elmer Morales. Thanks for coming to our talk. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Elmer M. And you can follow my company, Campus, which you know helps brands uh, build spaces in the metaverse. We're out on Twitter and Instagram as Campus Metaverse at Campus Metaverse. Beautiful. Yeah. And I'm Jeff Kelly, Edge of NFT podcast at Edge of NFT on all socials. Thanks again for coming out today. And thank you to our panelists. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Hey there, NFT space cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com It's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe, it's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole-enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. Hey everyone, glad to be here. My name is Zach. I'm the CEO and founder of Genzio. We're a Web3 marketing agency specializing in development, influencer, Twitter marketing, and Discord management, so community management. Awesome. My name is Greg Gottman. I'm the head of marketing business development for a company called Anchor. We do infrastructure to help blockchains run faster and better. I've been in the space for five years. I also built a company called Akash, which is another uh, infrastructure company on the Cosmos network. I specialize in crafting narratives that communicate well to the Web3 community and like products that they want to see and continuing that process with content that relays on all different channels. That was very well spoken. I'm not Jason Fishman. I'm his co-founder but he wasn't able to make it today. So I'm Tim Martinez, co-founder of Digital Niche Agency. I just thought you shaved. Ah, He's much better looking than me. I send him to these events. We specialize in investor and user acquisition, heavily 
focused on paid media. We are a full service advertising agency located out of Los Angeles. We have a staff of about 25. We've generally focused on raising capital that has been our sweet spot, but we do many other things beyond just raising capital for early stage companies. We're going to get into all that. So I'll stop my pitch there. My name is Itai. I'm one of the partners at Market Across. We are a Tel Aviv based uh, PR and content marketing agency. I used to work for Wix, which is a pretty big startup. So I come from Web2. Um, yeah, we have some pretty cool big clients and I'm sure we'll elaborate about cool, cool stuff later. Yeah. And one thing I'm thinking about is hearing what you guys all do is we should talk about like local versus national versus global marketing as part of the conversation because I think there's some interesting nuances there. But you know, for starters, let's differentiate web two versus web three marketing and what are the major differences in terms of even the language and the approach to it. And Zach, you know, based on what your company does, what's influencer marketing look like in Web3 versus Web2? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. And so we do kind of more mainstream marketing. So for example, one of our last clients was Skittles. We actually worked with them on a best of Twitter marketing competition that Twitter hosts every year. Brands compete in that and to see who can like basically get the most engagement. And the reason I mentioned that is because Skittles isn't necessarily Web2, but it's more traditional company. And I would say the one of the main differences here, and this isn't necessarily something I'm saying negative about Web2, is traditionally you buy a product, you take it home, you use it, and then you're done. If a Web3 product is really good, whether that's an NFT, blockchain, a token, you're going to own that forever, essentially. So the community management of the people who own you know, your different products is really important because essentially... They're a part of your community forever if your project is successful. Um, that's much different than you know buying a MacBook or something and then you use it to a certain point and then throw it away. So the marketing nuances there are really important. Guys, any other distinctions between Web 2 and Web 3? Yeah, I, I would say Web 2 is more about the product and about the users of the product. And Web 3 is more about like the belief in the product where like the majority of your people are investors. And so they might not even be like, you know, whether they're an investor technically or not, you know, they're, they're someone who's believing in you and, and putting some money behind it. And so they want to have a shared narrative and belief in the community and feel like things are right. And so that matters almost as much as the product itself. And like the Web 3 products right now, you see very little actual daily active users but you have a ton of people you need to engage and bring into your community. So it's more about like the, you know, that shared feeling and community and brand of it. Yeah. Sometimes like the, 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 the stakeholders kind of converge together, like the technology, right? And with that comes greater responsibility to manage those stakeholders and sort of bring them into the narrative. Yeah. It's a big topic. I mean, I think marketing is marketing in general and good fundamental sound practices of marketing, of finding a good value proposition. Why does that person care? Like if you don't care, it doesn't matter if it's web two or web three. It's my job as a marketer to find that hot moment and to help you care and then to lead you down a path and a journey. So whether it's web two or web three, I see it as a little irrelevant. It's can I get an individual to care about my project and bring them where I need to bring them and get them to take the actions in a certain, certain sequence. That's how I view it. So I think they kind of all said it, but I'll kind of maybe do a small iteration. I, I think that first of all, most web two businesses have a very, at least one clear CTA call to action on their website. And when you do a campaign, you have a CTA, a lot of crypto projects or web three, whatever there's an join my discord. Now join my discord isn't exactly a very elaborate CTA where you get a lot out of. So I agree that most Web2 companies, what they want is for you to come sign up for a year, prepaid, and you know what? Maybe share it with a friend and then they're happy. Now, Web3 is more like join the cult and there's you know good things and bad things about that. But I think that the biggest difference, and that's maybe something, just all the stuff you guys already talked about, but most Web3 projects have a floor price or a token price from day one. And that is very, very stressful. So and that's also very connected to the community. So I'm pretty sure that the users of Salesforce aren't really affected by the price of the stock of Salesforce. And they wouldn't hate the company or love it if the price goes up and down. And also it took years for Salesforce to have a stock that's listed. So that's a very, very big thing that, you know, everyone talks about community, community, community is usually as good as your floor price. So there's a lot of kind of managing that part of it, which is what's real, what's not, how do I deal with this 24 hour price thing or so there's a lot of you know delicate things when dealing with that. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of transparency and visibility around the sort of heartbeat of the organization at its early infancy when it's still sort of forming itself, right? 
And I guess that leads to my next question. And, and Tim, why don't you kick us off on this? You guys have done launches. You know, DNA, I know DNA from being in LA. Anyone that's in LA knows what you guys do. But you also are about the lifecycle marketing, like a lot of the guys on stage. And I'm really curious how you see what tactics and strategies you see as important to not just have a good launch, right? To actually create long-term sustainability. There's been so many projects that I've been a part of and, and you know, that are quasi rug pulls or rug pulls where the floor drops really quickly. How do folks here prevent that from happening? Yeah. So in the traditional, let's call it Web2 in that space, especially when we're talking about raising capital or building businesses, let's just talk about kind of maybe entrepreneurship and as a broad topic, broad stroke. If you care about what you're building, if you sincerely care about what you're building, you're adding a lot of value to the world and the community and to your fellow man and hoping to make the world a better place. Why does that need to die the second your campaign is over, right? You're the founder and this is your founding team and everybody like blood, sweat, tear, 15 hours a day, like not like just living it and owning it. Your community is going to feel that. So if like your campaign wraps and you're like, all right, guys, that was it. Thank you so much. Marketing is a is an all time always thing. It's not a sometimes it's an always thing. thing, and that's a very big gap when we see people or brands, especially we're so, so they do a project plan and it ends at the launch, no, and then they're like, now what? I'll give you an example. So we we do a lot of PR, and then we have a lot of super legitimate companies, whatever, who come to us every few months and say, all right, now we have something to do a PR about. Someone should care about it, and I say, well, it's very hard. First of all, you know, to maintain cadence like that, and every six months to come with a journalist with something. You also need to show that there's, you know, that you're doing things. You're not, not every pitch is going to work, but you need to have a pitch a month so they know that you're active and coming and saying, all right, we're going to go in this building period right now because we're devs and we're just going to close the blinds for six months might mean a lot for the business sense that you think, but marketing wise, it, it kills a machine that's very hard to sometimes just re jumpstart where it, where it started. Yeah. I wanted to add on to that too. And I think this is where community management is really important. Like, if you think of like marketing and community management in Web3, you can't really have marketing without community management. So it's almost like vital to the business. And I also think that Web3 users are more skeptical of traditional advertising. So, you know, Web3 users are, they see themselves as like the leaders of a new generation for privacy and all of these, you know, things that we believe in with blockchain. So if they see a company that has this kind of messaging promoting itself on a Google ad, they may not be as receptive because they're, they are, you know, looking for more community based marketing. So they look for influencers or other folks that they get education from versus more traditional means. And I think that makes it more sustainable. Well, let's hear from Greg. If you all don't know Anchor, they have 165,000 community members on Twitter and, and many more, I'm sure, beyond that off Twitter. And, you know, you guys have built a sustainable community. I'm curious sort of how you did it and what are some of the pivots that, you know, along the way, what did you learn in the process of building such a large community? I think we had a lot of support. And so Anchor's really lucky to be one of these middleware companies that works with a lot of the major brands in the space. So we're partners with Polygon, Finance, Avalanche, Phantom, all the big L1s and L2s. Those are our main uh, clients. And then we also work with top dApps and provide them infrastructure too. So We've been really lucky, you know, as those partnerships have come along to be able to engage with those communities and bring them into our fold. You know, it sounds kind of cheesy, but like early on, like it's nice to do like the contests and like the things to get people excited. I mean, contests people, work. Contests work. And people are really excited when you have a, we started off Anchor, wasn't a high token price, you know, product. And so people notice when the token starts moving and they like, they want to join that army. You know, everyone wanted, like, the Link Marines were like a great, like kind of like case study and like how to like moon your token in a way. And so I think like there's a nice crescendo as these brands are building and Anchor's lucky to be in, uh, you know, in stage of the process. We still believe we're on track to be a top 30 company. We're not there right now, but like, uh, there's a nice crescendo of like building your community and how people come on board and like when they join in your journey and what they believe they're joining for and what they believe where you're going, you know? And so I think we've done a nice job of crafting that story early on. And now we're at a new point in our evolution where we're crafting a new story, which we're excited about. We'll be launching, but. I think three weeks with Etai, might I say. And so uh, I think it's just nice to have a lot of fun, exciting things on the horizon for your community members to latch onto. And if like one narrative's ending, you have to have a new narrative beginning. Were there any course corrections that you guys made along the way? Yeah. So Anchor's experimented with a lot of different products. And so we've like, I'd say around 50% of them have, have been misses, right? So we've uh, experimented a lot. We did like 
That's a really good win rate in this, in this yeah. industry. Yeah, like, yeah. We, we build real products, you know what I mean? But like, we've also done like crowd loans on uh, like parachain crowd loans, which really didn't hit. Uh, we were the first thing to introduce liquid staking on Ethereum, but we didn't have enough marketing support. So Lido beat us on that. I think we're number two or three for liquid staking. I think three now on them. But we brought liquid staking to seven other chains. We do innovate in the space, which is a really cool thing for Anchor. And I think people really appreciate that. If, if I can say one thing, and again, it does talk a lot about Anchor, but in, I think, a general companies like Anchor understand that it's not about narratives are important, but it's about doing things. So that's one tip I can tell people and is that unfortunately marketers like us have been helping projects for the past five, six years. And the promises of how this X business will revolutionize Y industry has been covered 30,000 times. And the problem is that 29,999 of these companies didn't deliver. So I think that the most important thing right now is to build is to deliver. It doesn't have to be the hugest thing in the world. But there's such a big difference between saying we did something and that's why it's important and say what we want to do and potential and is is overhyped in this industry. And, you know, doing 10 yard moves, but really showing what that moves all the time, that I think is a very influential thing to do. Yeah. And in traditional finance, you have something called investor relations where you have to communicate with your investors. But yet in the world of marketing, we just don't do that. Why? Yeah, I just interviewed one of the co-founders of Gina Pat's Jen. He's they every two weeks they put out what they've been working on and where it's at. I mean But I also want to touch on that. So I have clients where I'm like, hey guys, you've been really quiet for the past four months. And like, no, go to our Twitter. Here's our update or go to our telegram. That's important. That's not the same thing as going out there and, and doing things and doing a net, whatever. So I think it's all important, but going to say, or oh, we're talking to our community, look, here's our weekly update. It's important to stay alive that way, but that, that only talks to your community members. It doesn't signal to the outside world, look at the things you should take a look at. It. So it's unfortunately, I don't think that any brand that wants to succeed can just do one of what we're doing here. You need to do earned, you need to do owned, you need to do paid, you need to do everything. One interesting thing I will say is Anchor built a lot of other things in the bear market, the last bear market. And then as the bull market came about, we were really appreciated for having a company that had products. But then when the bull market was there, all these companies come with products that they don't deliver, but they still go up, which is kind of interesting too. It's like, as long as you have the right thing, when that market comes, that seems to be one of the biggest factors, just being ready. You know, I'll just add one comment. My co-founder and I, we produce NFTLA and we got a lot of feedback. People had a good experience, but the biggest compliment is, oh my gosh, oh my God, you guys said you're going to do it and you actually did it. And like, we got hugs just for that. Like, I think that shows... Just where people are at with how many times there's been betrayal in this industry where people just want to know they can count on your words. Yeah, I wanted to add in because you, you made a really good point. I actually, before I founded Gen Z, I worked at OKX and I was uh, on the listing team there. And so we were, uh, I was on the listing team when all of these tokens, like these L1s and things were kind of getting started. And so they're all asking us to get listed. I mean, it was kind of our job to figure out like, hey, which of these are actually real and which of them should we actually list? Because a year and a half or two years ago, it was actually, you know, Coinbase and these different companies were much more selective about what they were listing. And like, to your point, they looked at like what they were actually building. And that's a self, like the more you build and kind of are actually putting things out, it like the exchanges will see that the community really it like rewards it. The so. biggest project in this bull market, I don't know if we're bull or bear or whatever. I'm, I'm not smart enough to understand that, but... In the past bull market, the biggest project that did the biggest success were projects that launched in the bear market. So Polygon, Matic, again, full disclosure, been working with them for a long time. Look at that. Look at FTX. They launched, they were another three-letter exchange. And by the way, we did their launch and I didn't do that good of a job because we it was it was another exchange in the bear market. Um, OpenSea has been around for four years. Yeah, right? Solana, Solana was another layer one just before, a lot before it was Solana. So like this is a really good time to launch stuff if you have if you did fundraise enough to have a bandwidth. And you really want to build. I remember SBF trying to raise $2 million a token 2049 for Alameda on the very first seed round. And we were all like, why would anyone invest in another exchange right now? Yeah, derivatives, sure. That's what we need. Yeah, like- all right, guys. Well, let's, I want to save some different questions from the audience, but I have two more questions. One, let's talk about the common pitfalls and mistakes in, in Web3 marketing and try to hit on some things that we haven't talked about yet. Like, what are some of those, oh, no, you did that, and then you guys have to rewind it that we can sort of have help these folks avoid? Yeah. So, I mean, I'd like to just give an example. If everyone remembers when like Kim Kardashian promoted Ethereum Max, that, and it just like tanked, like that was the most, as like a marketing person, I was like, oh, man, this is like horrible. Like she's probably going to get sued. And anyone in the crypto community who saw that, it just came off as so inauthentic. 
Another example is like Randy Zuckerberg's like her music video. I don't know if anyone's seen that, but it cringy. definitely cringy, cringy, right? It doesn't, it's very clear that these people like don't actually care about web three and that they're just in it for, you know, quick cash grab and the web three community understands that. So being authentic and actually having community members who are building in the ecosystem be the marketers and promoting them to grow and like having it make sense. Like if you're going to have a gaming project, have an influencer or someone who already is doing gaming. Don't just throw a random name on there uh, because they're famous. It's going to come off very badly. I would say my best piece of advice is whether you're working with like a, a marketing agency or a new employee or one of these influencers, you just have to keep them on a very short leash in the early beginning and really hold them tight to coming through on their deliverables to know if there's someone who actually does things or someone who doesn't, especially in the bull market, things get really frothy. Everyone wants a lot of money. You get stuck in these contracts. Sometimes they're long contracts and you get stuck in contracts with people that don't do the work. And so just be really, really cautious and be really tight on your leash and micromanage the first month before you let people kind of run because people will work for you for months and not do shit and you won't even know. Pilots are really important, but also making sure that there's not like a bait and switch and, and that you have the right people on their team committed to you and, and you know that they're not taking on more than they can chew. A lot of marketing companies in Web3, I found... Have like suddenly they're really good and then they have 30 clients and then the value is diluted for everyone. Yeah, I would say never quit, never quit, never quit, never quit, never quit. Just never quit. Seriously, if you have never, a project uh, never, and you really, what are you, what are you trying to tell me? I can't, you it. really want to get drive this point home. I mean, what happens is people stop too early, they stop spending too early, they get their feelings hurt that nobody wants to show up to their party and they're like, my, this thing sucks and no one wants to come, nobody's in my community and just keep going, just keep going. And if it's not this project, maybe it'd be another project, but just keep going. That's like, I think the best piece of advice I could give to any founder or entrepreneur out there. Yeah, I would have, I, I think I could say everything this year is correct. I would say that I would say more on the devs side, there's a very big disease of, I build it, they will come. And I think that there's so many really cool stuff being built. I had clients who built everything like that you're seeing. I know people have built Uniswap before Uniswap was there, but people didn't come. So the concept of a lot of devs are like, we did it, it's done, now to the next thing. Well, most of the companies like MailChimp build MailChimp and then they like market it for 15 years. So I really, really believe in like getting the main products out there, of course, always innovating, but this can't be like sometimes just, I just built it. So to say I built and, it, put it on my Twitter, now next to next thing. So. And, and you do some global marketing. Any specific thoughts there to add? Well, I would differentiate between like grassroots community stuff or whatever. So let's put like Southeast Asia. There's a lot of great things there. But when it comes to like top of the funnel, I do think that usually these places do still till today kind of live off of signals from the West. So I would say that like on the kind of more upper style PR level or whatever. But when you go down to influencers, I do think that localization is important. But I also think that most Web3 audiences are pretty prolific in, I would say, English, at least in a lot of the world. So maybe Asia is a bit different. But I'm not a huge, huge believer. So I think marketing is marketing, you know, message is message. And I don't think that like, this is a pretty connected world. So I wouldn't like really go down and do super duper different actions or tactics unless there's a specific demographic you want to really get grassroots. Like if you're a play turn game who wants growth in Vietnam, then yeah, taking us to do that specifically might not be the right thing, but taking just that agency that knows how to do Vietnam, whatever, they can't build the the kind of, I would say, playbook. So a bit of everything. Cool. Do we have any burning questions in the audience? Who, who has a question? All right. I have another question. <laughs> Just one more thing on global marketing. Yeah. So there used to be communities that were different than the other communities. Like Japan operates completely differently. Korea operates completely differently. And so if you wanted to get exposure to those communities, you used to have to China as well, work with a local agency there. But all the language three barrier as well, huge language barrier. Yeah. And, but all three of those communities are off the map these days. So it doesn't even matter. Like we wouldn't work with anyone in Korea because no one can get listed on Upbit anymore. China banned Bitcoin and Japan just, I don't even know what the fuck's going on in Japan. Japan was like, I feel like, first of all, the biggest place where Bitcoin started and then ICO boom was very big. And then at some point, they just really closed the door. <laughs> they were like, crypto's bad. Yeah. And we all don't believe in it. I literally think that I haven't seen a project out of Japan in years. Yeah. It's interesting. Okay. Wow, that was by dude. I'm out of here. He didn't like our answer. That's all. He was like, oh, shit. I'm out. You insult my people. <laughs> I'm out. I love Japan. Uh, go to Kyoto. You can bike and no one ever steals it. So 
<laughs> That's the weirdest travel advice. recommendation ever. <laughs> it's awesome to Take go to a bike. Con- no one will steal it. <laughs> go to a city where you could bike around and leave your bike and not have to worry about being stolen. It was pretty awesome. So, anyways, quick fire question. Let's get straight to the question. Yeah, so you mentioned like a lot of the problem with uh, like NFT projects or whatnot are not or not having a product, right? And then promising a product. So for our company, Immersed, we actually have a utility product, and now we're jumping into the Web three space. So how would you go about building a community for something that already has that utility? Great question. I mean, first of all, I'll, nice plug for the product. Yeah, uh, great. Great, great example. He kept it kind of subtle. It was I heard this term yesterday. It was a soft shell. <laughs> in a weird way, I would argue you don't have a product yet in Web three. Because I think Web3 products in their own way in NFT communities are the community themselves and like the promise of what that community stands for, what it's going to be like, like a goblin town. Like, what is that? It's like, it's not art. <laughs> it is art. Everything's art. But like they have a community, right? And they have an extremely strong Ethereum community that they pulled in there of insiders and they brought in their other inside communities and it became this like thing. And now there's like this cool stuff behind it. And so I think when you're launching your, your NFT community and your brand and your product, like you really have to have that ethos of what we stand for. And you need to have like that rallying call to bring people in there early to your like spaces and your Twitter and your Discord or you know however you guys want to run it. Are you trying to bring your old sort of loyalists in there, or are you trying to focus on some new blood and, and get those folks it's, to it's, like? It's new blood because you're, you're you'll probably get like ten percent of your old loyalists if you're a Web two community. They just don't. A lot of them don't believe in Web three. Some of them don't understand it. They probably don't. May not be active on Discord or whatever it is. They're using your product. They're it's a totally different industry. And so, like, you definitely, I, I think they could be your brand builders and be your loyalists, which would be great. And you incentivize them with tokens or NFTs or however you want to do it to make them feel like they're getting paid. You know, but you have to like kind of like start from scratch of how you're going to do build this new thing. I think another cool way is if you have like a good gaming web two project and you want to introduce uh, crypto, so do something pretty untraditional and do it without telling everyone ten times before it. One day, just tell all the people on your user base or whatever, hey, that sword that you've been building, or whatever. Oh, you can click here right now and turn it into NFT on this or that chain or whatever. So I think that turning web two players into NFT people by product and not by announcements, tokens, airdrops, whitelists, or whatever. That's a really good place to start. And then, of course, you can do all of that. But like, there's a few games that they also want to do that because they want to be more compliant with Google and Apple or whatever. They're really looking at how can I introduce NFTs without doing any drops or whatever. And then after that, hopefully, I'll be able to monetize on that. I mean, a lot of our clients are Web2 clients entering Web3. And what we tell them and what we're finding is like, don't even say it's an NFT. Like, you don't even have to say it. Like, just make a really cool video game and have that be the utility. And then people who are really into NFTs, they'll figure it out. But you don't even need to say it's an NFT on the website or or anything. And we're finding a lot of success in companies that are using that technology without marketing that it's an NFT and actually being more successful than some that push the NFT. So cool. We have time for one more really quick question. All right. Hi. So... For what I understand, you have mentioning you have been mentioning strategies more for startups. How do you see major brands jumping from traditional marketing to Web three? My favorite collabo is is Nike and Artifact, but that's kind of a buyout. But I just fucking love both those companies. I love Artifact. So cool. So cool. Adidas did a pretty cool you know collabo also into the space where you know they were like, we don't really know what we're doing, but we're a great brand and. You guys are like the top NFT people. What do you want to do? And they just went to G Money, right? You probably know the story better than I did. He was like, cool. Yeah, I can like drop something and figure out like an early way to like make a new thing with you guys. And people respected it because it was, it was a big brand, but they utilized Web3 people and kind of gave the Web3 people the control with some access to their brand. I think the themes in those two projects is, is culture and like Sinkers is a great streetwear. Like make sure that you have the right culture. For Web3, I think doing a cultural like audit is not a bad idea before you jump in. And then a lot of brands approached us around NFTLA, and I think they asked the right question, which is, how can I authentically integrate with the community in a way that is not perceived as us as an outsider? And I think that's a key theme. Guys, this has been really cool. I'd love to let everyone know how they can stay in touch with you, learn more about what you do in this space. If we can go down the line, starting with the tie. How do people find you on Web3? On Web3. So uh, you can find me on Telegram. It is I-T-A-I. That's my first name. And then E, which is the first letter of my last name. I'm also on this really old website called LinkedIn, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's it. I think that's the best way to reach. Yeah, same deal. On Telegram, I'm at the inside man. It's an acronym for Tim. My name is Tim. Find me on Telegram or digitalnicheagency.com. You can find us. 
they go, my Telegram and my Instagram are both really embarrassing. Crypto, C-R-Y-P-T-O, Gops, G-O-P-S. My last name's Gottman. So Crypto Gops was a thing before. Still there. You can find me, uh, Zach Nelson on Telegram. It's just my name, Zach Nelson. And then on, you can find us on Twitter at GenZioCo. And yeah, if you need Twitter marketing too, hit us up. So cool. Um, at Josh Krieger on Twitter. Uh, you can check out our podcast at edgeofnft.com or at edgeofnft. Interviewed over 150 leaders in the space. We drop two shows a week with lots of fun contests and alpha. And you can learn more about NFTLA, which is going to be April of 2023 at, at NFTLA Live. Thank you all very much. Thank you, guys. Okay, we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now, rate us, and say something cool. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.